You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. This week, we begin with Catholic Chicago hosts, Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi, talking with Sister Helen Prejeanne about her latest book, River of Fire, in which she writes about how Vatican II changed life for many in religious orders. Sister Helen is best known for her 1993 memoir, Dead Man Walking, about her role as a spiritual advisor to a convicted killer on death row. Sister Helen Prejean, tell us briefly your story about how religious life began for you. Well, I grew up in a wonderful Catholic family in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, belonged to Our Lady Mercy Parish. Uh, as soon as I could drive, I would go to daily Mass uh, as a teenager, loved the Mass, taught me how to meditate, taught me how to pray. Um, and so it was not a hard thing for me to become a nun. We had great nuns that taught us in Baton Rouge, St. Joseph Academy, and I wanted to be a teacher, and I wanted to be a nun. I wanted to have a deeply spiritual life, but I also wanted to teach, and they came together. So I joined at the age of 18. It was religious life, and all this. I tell these stories in River of Fire before Vatican II, and that was in the time where deep asceticism, you leave the world behind, the wicked world that could tempt you, and uh, it was to have a life of perfection and closeness to God and service to others, and then boom. When Vatican II opened up the doors and windows of the Church for the first time, we had an ecumenical council assembled not to condemn some heresy, but to open the Church to the modern world and the needs of the people. And that really opened us up. I'm a sister of St. Joseph, and so that led me eventually, and I tell this in the story in River of Fire, uh, to go to the St. Thomas Housing Projects and serve African-American people who have been there my whole time in New Orleans, but I lived out in the suburbs, and I awakened to the call of justice. Now, you entered religious life in what year, sister? In 1957. Oh, so then you, you literally entered and studied pre-Vatican II, when Vatican II opened in 1963, then you were caught of this whole huge change from pre-Vatican II, post-Vatican II. Exactly. It was just like this big tsunami wave rose up in the Church, and we nuns were riding right on the top of that wave, and I've unfurled in that wave and unfolded in ever since. And it was just such a shift. It was a big shift away from... First of all, the fear of hell, that God was a judge, that you had to keep all the rules, or you were going to be, you're going to go to hell. And the fear then, taken away, God's a God of love, and the way you show love for God is to love each other, but not just those around us, those in our neighborhood, those we know. But when I got to St. Thomas, uh, African-American people became my teachers. And so I have in River Fire about growing up in Baton Rouge, good mom and daddy, wonderful Catholic family. But during the Jim Crow days, and we had an African-American couple 
who actually lived on the premises, Ellen and Jesse, never knew their last name. Ellen worked in the house with Mom and Daddy, and uh, Jesse worked in the yard. And I never questioned the Jim Crow. I never questioned mm. that they even had to sit in a separate place in Sacred Heart Church and couldn't go to communion with us. Um, at, but you wake up. See, grace wakes us up. That's a big theme of, of River of Fire. You wake up, and when you wake up, then you get to live the Christian life in another way because you see all the dimensions. That's what happened, and it's still happening to me. Sister, there's such an excitement in your voice. It's like it's that spirit flowing through you. You said, wakened to the call of justice. How do we know? How do we know? How do we look to be awakened? Yeah, well, it's it's like one of the things is we have to just ask ourselves, who do we expose ourselves to? What are the circles of influence? What's like the lagoon that we're always swimming in? You know, the, the familiar people we're with, what we do, to, and to break out of it. See, that's the big invitation right now, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You can just see us white folks awakening deeply for the first time that police brutality against black people is not a few bad cops. It's systemic. And, of course, I saw the racism in the death penalty. I wrote a man on death row. This is the story of that man walking and then visited him. And I am with him when he is executed. And along the way, all while Tim Robbins was working on the film of Dead Man Walking, he kept saying, the nun is in over her head. And I was in over my head. It was, it was a big, I didn't know anything about criminal justice. Mm-hmm. And I began to see how systemically... People chosen for death is eight out of every 10 of them. It's because they kill white people. When black people are killed in this country, it's not even, it's negligible. It's seldom sought. Mm. So you begin to see racism is built into the victim. Who's the victim? Who's outraged over the death of the victim? And I began to see how racism played its part, especially in the death penalty. And you know, Father Greg, it took, the Catholic Church, 1,600 years to arrive at that place in 2018, where finally Pope Francis changed the catechism to say in the doctrinal teaching that under no circumstances can we ever trust the government to be given that authority over life and death and That's to true. take a citizen. It took us 1,600 years of dialogue. Which, you know, Sister Helen, in listening to you, there's no question how Vatican II awakens you from inside your soul, the depth of your soul. In fact, here's a beautiful line. For you. You've got a lot of great lines, but Father uh, Bill Moriarty from the cathedral gave me this line from you uh, that I used a few times in homilies. Um, he gave this to me. He says, here's a line. When I light a candle at midnight... I say to the darkness, I beg to differ. When I light a candle at midnight, I say to the darkness, I beg to differ. That's a profound line. Do you remember writing that line or saying that line? I didn't write that line. I got to just be humble about all this, okay? I mean, (laughs) sometimes they start attributing lines to you. You wish you had said it. Oh, I hear. Okay, I gave gave this one to you. Okay, so you didn't say, well... And he's used it as his own line, too. Exactly. No, but it, it's a great line. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a line tremendous line. But it is what... <laughs> amazing. Your, your enthusiasm, if I do the math, 
And you entered the <laughs> convent as a novice at the age of 18 right. in 1957. I can do the math. Let's not do the math. Let's, let's just keep moving. Let's keep moving. But the point is, but you're so, you're so <laughs> young at heart. Mark in there. Yeah, you, you're, <laughs> that's marked there. It's, you're, you're so young at heart. And what you're saying is that you're filled with the joy of the Lord, but also from your experience, you have seen racism. You have seen prejudice. You have seen injustice. And you're saying things have to change now. Yeah, not have seen or seeing. We are awakening now. And it's what action are we going to take? Charity to needy people is one thing, and we will always need to be that in the church. But we are at a moment of profound invitation to awaken at a level we never had before, to work for, you know, reformation within our police departments, and for white people to get in there in the struggle with black people. Can't just have black people saying, give us our rights. we got to be alongside them in the struggle, because it's for the health and goodness of our whole nation. Grace wakes us up, and grace keeps us young. How do you know you're young? It's when you have fresh thoughts, when you have, oh, I need to do this. It's like energy pours through us to act, to be alive. You know what's interesting? Jesus never once called himself a savior. He always just talked about, I've come that you may have life. You may really be alive, not walk around half dead. The life of God in us makes us alive. And as human beings, how do you know you're alive? When you love, when you're intellectually alive, when you're emotionally alive, when you're culturally and aesthetically alive, how alive are we? The call to live in God is to live and to truly be alive. And you hear it in your voice. How have the Sisters of St. Joseph taken Vatican II and made it real in terms of our world? Well, one of the, the big things that happened in terms of believing that the Holy Spirit is moving through the Church, but also moving in each of us as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I joined this sisterhood, it was just blind obedience. Whatever a superior asked you to do, whether it's teach, a nurse, whatever, and you just, holiness consisted in just obeying. And ask no questions. Ask no question. That's the blind part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But see, then when you begin to believe that God moves in each of us, so we then moved in our community to consensus making in community to get the wisdom of each sister. And the big radical change you could see that began to happen was we, instead of just simply filling in the institutions in the church, like we staff schools and the hospitals, that's the main thing we did. Mm-hmm. Then you began to follow, well, what about what's going on in prison? So here I am as mm-hmm. one of the sisters beginning to follow that spirit, writing this man, getting involved. So we have sisters involved with immigrants at the border. We have with women, uh, battered women. So you can follow the spirit, but the thing is you remain connected in spirit in the community because you belong to local communities together, you pray together, you discern together. You're not you're not just all these autonomous individuals, but that's a huge way. It's like you got your selfhood back. You you know that you could trust each sister to discern. So you lay it before the community. Look, I think I gotta go and serve these people on death row. 
But now, how, excuse me, sister. How did, how did that ministry for you begin in terms of uh, prison ministry? It began because I got involved with poor people in New Orleans in the St. Thomas Housing Projects. One day I came out of the Adult Learning Center at Hope House, and I got a simple invitation. And it was, hey, Sister Helen, you want to be a pen pal for somebody on death row? And I said, sure. I never dreamed that person was going to be executed, much less that I was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And it was, and that's the fire in River of Fire, was the watching, the witnessing of Patrick Sonia being electrocuted to death. And it caught my soul on fire because I witnessed it. And so, but that's how it happened. First, to get out of my little suburban, comfortable zone where I'd always been, mostly with other white people, moving into the St. Thomas Housing Project, and then getting that simple invitation, hey, Sister Helen, you want to be a pen pal? Now, you walked with him to his execution, correct? Correct. Six people I have accompanied to execution. So I take one person at a time and accompany them. And along the way, I have learned just how the whole criminal justice is. And I wrote Dead Man Walking. That book I wrote, I came out of that execution chamber that night. Pat had been killed at midnight. It was dark. First thing I did was violent. I had never in my life witnessed a human being in this protocol of death rendered defenseless and killed. And I remember thinking that night, you know, the American people are good people. It's just they're not anywhere close to this. They've been made to be afraid that if we don't execute these people, they'll kill in prison or whatever. I've been a witness. i got to tell the story. But from the beginning, I believed in the goodness of the American people. And when you write a book, it's a lot of trouble to write a book. It takes time to write a book. Yes, it, it does. It takes two years to write that book. And you got to do it out of love. So Dead Man Walking was written out of love to bring people close to the reality of what it means for us to be to allow our government to kill our citizens. Were there people who told you, don't write that book? Oh, yeah. Well, there was a lot. First of all, inside of me, I was saying, I don't need to write a book. I, I thought what I needed to do was get out there on the road, talk to the people. But then I... I I didn't know the power of a book, actually. you got to understand, I'm from Louisiana. We belong to an oral culture. We love to be together, eat our ball, crawfish, uh, tell our stories. And I thought, I thought of a book as a kind of a quiet, powerless thing. You can't talk to people. But, oh, man, it's like God has used that book. And then out of it came the film, and then the opera of Dead Man Walking. It's very powerful. It's been on every continent. It's going to be at the New York Met in April. Uh, and God uses us, see? But when people are quiet and you're taking them through story and you bring them into the execution chamber and you bring them into the struggles and suffering of the victim's family and they're using their imagination and it's very intimate. It's like a meditation. And you can change hearts and minds forever through the reading of a book. Our thanks to Sister Helen for taking the time to appear on our program. We now turn to the Voice of Charity for our next segment. Catholic Charities has been helping clients with HIV-AIDS since the 1980s. We now know much more about this disease that attacks a person's autoimmune system, but it continues to be a very serious struggle for all those affected by it. Co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy welcomed Pat Drock and a Catholic Charities client to discuss Catholic Charities HIV-AIDS support services 
and the 2020 AIDS Run and Walk Chicago. Two amazing folks are with us today. The first is Pat Drott. She is a Catholic Charities HIV AIDS liaison to parishes throughout the archdiocese. And she's joined by a client of ours who we'll refer to as Joe out of respect for his privacy. Welcome, Pat and Joe. Good morning. And thank you. Good to be here. Good morning. Great. We're so happy to have you. Can you share, we'll start with you, Pat. Can you share with our listeners what the services are in the HIV AIDS program? Happy to do so. Um, Well, we have relatively just two areas. We have um, case management and we have our educational outreach. And um, case management offers um, a wide variety of one-to-one services, client and case manager. And it runs the gamut from working with the client when they first get their diagnosis, uh, you know, working through the shock and the... um, uh, their feelings and uh, sadness, uh, and then assisting them to get life, you know, back together. Assisting with housing, with rent and bills, sometimes legal issues, uh, job training, money management, um, uh, nutritional uh, issues, counseling, uh, getting them into entitlement programs, um, helping them with medical adherence, and getting their medications, uh, counsel- individual counseling. Um, so that's essentially uh, the variety of services. That's amazing, Pat. Uh, and on the other hand, the educational part of it is um, HIV-AIDS has been overshadowed by so many critical issues. Uh, obviously, the COVID pandemic, uh, natural disasters happening everywhere, civil unrest, that people tend to forget that the HIV-AIDS pandemic is still with us. Right. So they need to be reminded of that fact that... Um, it is still here, and so we've developed a number of ways to keep that on the public consciousness, which is we have developed our own HIV-AIDS webpage on the Catholic Charities site. Um, we've uh, uh, written and produced two DVDs, one in English and, pan- and in Spanish, entitled The HIV-AIDS Pandemic and the Christian Response, which help educate people. Uh, we have developed and distributed specific health education literature, you know, brochures and things of that nature, and anywhere we go and speak, we talk about the facts, such as something like this, today's broadcast. That's amazing. And, you know, Pat, we are going to take a, a short break in a little bit. But if you could tell us in the last minute or so, what types of projects you work with, specifically with the parishes? Well, um, uh, I mentioned uh, something about uh, announcements to the parishes. Um, I do uh, develop announcements about 15 different national ethnic HIV AIDS awareness days, and those are sent to the parishes and hopefully are in their bulletins to announce to people that this is still here. Um, I collaborate with the Office of the Vicar General on the Holy Thursday collection, um, and some of those funds in the parishes by choice are uh, um, sent to agencies like Catholic Charities who provide services to persons living with HIV AIDS. I do plan and host World AIDS Day prayer services, and I do presentations in the parishes. Joe, we're going to go to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved with Catholic Charities? Yes. I. Um, this happened about uh, close to 15 years ago. I uh, was, I just finished a program at the uh, North Chicago VA Hospital. And uh, I went to uh, live in a 
uh, a home set aside for people that were HIV positive and uh, uh, for Lake County. And, and, and it was in that home that I was uh, introduced to Catholic charity. Uh, the name of the home is the Harbor House. And, and it, it came to be, to be because uh, there was a, a ministry taking place in, in Chicago sponsored by Lexington Brothers that, uh, where they had a, a huge apartment building. Uh, dedicated to the services of people who were HIV positive. And so Lake County invited uh, Electing Brothers to do the same thing here in in uh, Lake County at the at Waukegan area. And and uh, they also went so far, one of the sponsors uh, donated a mansion to wow. uh, you know, for the service there. So that's how I got to know it. I was in that house, and, and, and Catholic Charities, one of their staff members would come to that house and, and host a meeting with us, uh, those of us who were HIV positive, in this house. And uh, I, from there, it took off to uh, uh, me getting a case manager from Catholic Charity and, and, and uh, attending uh, the one-on-one therapy, as well as a group therapy. So, can, can you tell us a little bit, Joe, about what that meant to you to have, I, you know, I think people hear case management and they don't always understand what it is to have someone kind of helping you coordinate everything, both the, yeah. the case management and, and really the counseling. How, how was that helpful? Man, it was awesome. I, 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 I discovered uh, during this process that I was a broken vessel. I had it, my problems went back far beyond before I became HIV positive, and that occurred. I became HIV positive in 1989. Uh, I was uh, in corporate America as a contract manager for Biomed Services on the East Coast. But well before then, I was I was born in Chicago, and and uh, my mother died shortly after my birth, two weeks after I was born, and 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 my life was uh, uh, confusing, and and I had these surrogate mothers that were in and out of my life uh, over the course of me growing up, and uh, so. Uh, I ended up, I mean, coming to Catholic Charities, uh, coming to the harbor, and then Catholic Charities gave me uh, a backbone to look at myself and discover what was wrong, and, and it began back in my beginnings, and and so uh, I can't begin to tell you how tremendous it's been and being able to, the case manager is the one that orchestrates my therapy, mm-hmm. and, and and they are involved with whether or not I uh, adhering to the the, the uh, uh, regimen of taking a medicine uh, on a daily basis. And so uh, I've never had AIDS, uh, uh, and Thank so God. at eight. 
Yeah, that's it, exactly, because when I contracted the virus, about a year later, God stepped in and said, I'm not going to let you die from this. You know, it was God (laughs) that kept me, because I'm on the East Coast, over a period of five years I lived there, I saw almost 200 people die from AIDS. We forget, um, Marie and I were talking before the show, uh, I'm a little older than she is, although you'd never know it. And, um, you know, this this isn't quite on her radar the way it was for me. And I just, I, I'm sure your, your therapist tells you this, Joe, that things happen to us. It's not what's wrong with you, right? Things, things happen right. to you. And um, you've, sounds like you've had to deal with a lot, but we're all... And we're all broken vessels on some level. So we really appreciate yes. your, your sharing your story. Yes, thank you. Joe, you know, uh, go ahead. there's go ahead. been so much sort of parallel kind of, you know, dealing with this pandemic. We've spent a lot of time in the last few months really talking to different folks, different programs, and, and what the effect the pandemic has on them. What, what, it's, what has it been like for you dealing with this, given what you've gone through with, with HIV? Well, I'm still connected with Catholic Charities, uh, but we're doing our therapy over the phone. We are, we are, uh, we have group therapy, uh, uh, and, uh, with the clients and, and the interns. And, and so that has been a real, you know, uh, aid to the process of, of shutting, shutting, we have experience in this shutting in that we are forced upon us. And so, um, and then I, my case manager is, is always available to me. I, I drop a phone, make a phone call and, and she returns my calls every week. And, and, uh, and so I, people care about me from Catholic Charities and that, that, that is dynamic for me. Uh, that the love I've received from Catholic and because being a broken vessel began with me not being loved, mm. and so I learned to love. Um, Joe, that's beautiful. I, I, you know, truly, I think as as we think about you know the work that we do together, right? Mm-hmm. So this work is done together. It's done. Yes. You. Um, are the center of that work, right? You're the the person who who moves it forward, and you are the person who who is the hero in this story. But thank you for sharing with our listeners a part of your journey. I think you know, as Bridget said, we are all broken vessels, and we are all worthy of love. And I I just am so grateful that Catholic Charities was a very small part in that that healing story for you. So thank you for sharing that with us. So we need to plug the annual HIV AIDS walk. Pat, can you tell us a little bit? Each year, Catholic Charities has a team that participates in the fundraiser. And when is it and where will it take place? Well, um, this walk, which is sponsored by the um, AIDS Foundation of Chicago, um, usually occurs at the end of September, beginning of October. It is scheduled for October 3rd, Saturday, um, in the Grant Park area. Um, it has a little different face this year because of the fan- pandemic. There will be uh, walkers and runners at Grant Park, but they have now announced that there will be a week of walks. So the week of oh. um, September uh, 28th or so, 
uh, there are five different neighborhoods where people can, teams can walk or individuals. They can do solo walks. So it's kind of spreading it around and it's still encouraging people to walk, yet social distance. So um, it is scheduled if one wanted to join in um, October 3rd at um, Grant Park uh, or the other five neighborhood sites, which are listed on the AFC webpage as well as ours. So um, this is my 18th year of huh. walking. Wow, and, Pat. Um, I have to do a solo walk because I'm in the net risk group, so I am going to do it in the bike trail near my home So, um, and then hook into the app uh, so that people can see and connect. So um, we do have a, a team, Team Catholic Charities, and we are mandated to have 20 walkers or runners. And as of today, we have 18 registered, and we have a goal set by AFC to raise $5,000. And as of this morning... Um, there's over a little, over, little over a thousand that's listed, but I know of about eleven hundred dollars more that will soon be posted. So we're almost halfway to our goal, um, and we encourage people to uh, join the team uh, or and or donate as well. So we welcome everybody. Pat, I love I love how creative they've been yeah. in kind of helping mm-hmm. engage in this sort of new reality that we're all living in right now. Can you give that website where people can learn more? Um, you know, 18 folks is great. 20 folks is wonderful. But 20 folks are wonderful. But we can have a lot more than that. So Absolutely. I don't want anyone to hear 18 and think they shouldn't sign up. But can you let them know exactly where they can go to sign up? Okay. The website is, um, you know, the beginning is always HTTPS, but it's action.aidschicago, one word, dot org slash teams slash 2973830. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and Joe, I, I've heard that you have also participated in this walk. Can you perhaps share with our listeners a little bit about what that experience is like? Yes, I I, I had uh, I did the walk when we was in Grand Park when the, when the when it first uh, began actually, and and uh, I've since grown so old where I cannot walk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 72 years old, and I think, and so I started out with Catholic Charity when I was around 58. So you can you can imagine uh, what what I've uh, experienced with them. But uh, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, we have, there was thousands of people yeah. in the beginning. You know, I mean, uh, it, it was it was all kinds of organizations and uh, come together for that AIDS walk. Uh, and uh, it was just amazing uh, what how it worked out and uh, at Grand Park and and I was with friends and associates and and it was just a marvelous experience to uh, uh, walk together with people. It's, it's amazing what solidarity does, right? Like we we all need the practical help in whatever situation we are, but just knowing you're not alone and and that people right. care about you is is pretty fantastic. For more information about the services offered by Catholic Charities and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Time now for a break, and when we return, we will hear some helpful tips for those who are recognizing a call from God. Back in a moment. 
When you think of the word neighbor, warm and friendly thoughts come to mind. Think of smiles across the yard, positive wishes, and looking out for one another on an ongoing basis. Catholic Charities Neighbors in Need Fund inspires all of these and much more. We've seen an unprecedented number of requests for assistance this year from people who have never needed help before. When you make your gift to the Neighbors in Need Fund, you are igniting hope in the lives of your most vulnerable neighbors, especially individuals and families who continue to struggle to put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads. Your gift will give them the resources they need to overcome the unexpected, very serious circumstances in which they find themselves now. Give online at catholiccharities.net or call 312-948-6087. That's 312-948-6087. Catholic Charities Neighbors in Need Fund. Thank you for helping build a world of kindness, one neighbor to another. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. And here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Anchor. So please subscribe today. We continue our program with a segment from Dare to Love, the radio program dedicated to religious vocations. This is Sister Lavina Francis Pamet. I'm a Franciscan Sister of the Sacred Heart. I will be your host for this morning for Dare to Love. Dare to Love is a program that focuses on vocation ministry and support for discerners. And today's guest is Father Timothy Monahan, the vocation director for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Good morning, Father Tim. Good morning, Sister Lavina. How are you? 
I am doing great. Actually, it's always nice to uh, go to Quigley Center where the studio is. And I'm here with uh, Mike May right now um, in the office for radio and TV. And it's always great to see real people out <laughs> out of the house because since March uh, 14, or actually the Monday after that, uh, it, it's been work at home. But I think a lot of places are starting to bit by bit reopen and uh, for September um, this month, we're going to try that uh, quickly, quickly center at the schools and some of the uh, parishes. And uh, Father Tim, you're over uh, by the campus of the Holy Name Cathedral right now, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. It's called the Bishop Quarter House, which is named after our very first bishop here in Chicago, William Quarter. Ah. And it's where the vocation office is, is located. And we have our spirituality year there as well. So it's our some of our first-year seminarians who come in to learn about prayer, about community life, about service, and really deepening their discernment of the call to priesthood. So we just, it's a wonderful spot right on the Holy Name campus, uh, kind of behind the cathedral. Right. And uh, since March, you have tried to, like uh, anybody else, to start creating some activities for discerners and um, also for those in initial formation to at least provide them uh, some events and programs, right? Correct. So when, when things shut down back in March, we the Cardinal asked us to welcome our college seminarians who were up at St. John Vianney College Seminary at the University of St. Thomas, which is in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we were domiciled together. There's, there's plenty of room here. So we had a wonderful experience of uh, being able to do formation for the seminarians in-house, praying with them. They were doing their e-learning. We were doing our work. So we were able to continue our formation in-house. Our Mundelein seminarians each went to different parishes where they continued their seminary and formation and also were able to help out in parishes. And then for those who are discerning the priesthood, we moved everything online. So we just had online meetings where we would listen to a priest, share his vocation story, and then they, the discerners could ask questions about what was on their heart, what their impression was. So we've been doing, we did those meetings all through the spring, a little bit through the summer, we took a break. Unfortunately, many of our programs, as with so much else, was canceled. But now we're gearing back up for the this late summer and in the fall. Now in September, October, we're going to be doing programs once again, trying to do them in person, trying to be safe, uh, observing all archdiocesan and norms. But it's important to try and move forward. Right. And, you know, uh, for folks listening right now, um, you might be wondering if you've, if you've listened to this program before, uh, why is Sister Lavina having Father uh, Tim over for Dare to Love, uh, which is uh, a program that's uh, focused on a religious life? Well, Father Tim is actually part of CAVA, which is the Chicago Archdiocesan Vocation Association, because CAVA uh, has always been about collaboration. And Father Tim, who is the vocation director under the um, archdiocese, we all work together, uh, including uh, those who are in general uh, working on vocations, uh, God's call. And so, Father Tim, um, I really appreciate your support um, through all these years. And it, it just seems like yesterday, uh, since you were appointed vocation minister, what, what year was that? That, um, that So I started in 2017, so I'm now beginning my fourth year. I've completed three years, and wow. I'm starting my fourth year already. And it's, how, how has it been for you? Uh, it's been great. Uh, it's a beautiful ministry. I'm so, so honored to be able to do this ministry. And and what I love about it is the Lord, He raises up 
and you see this in your own vocation work, but he raises up people who are, are trying to discern his will. And so in my specific instance, I'm working with young men, sometimes as young as in high school, junior high or high school, mm-hmm. but also mainly in their 20s and 30s, sometimes older, but usually 20s and 30s. But these are, these are guys who are really, they're grappling. I always have the image of Jacob wrestling with the angel. They're, they're trying to figure out what is God calling me to? What is in my own heart? What are the desires of my heart? And so they come to me, usually recommended by a priest or a family member, or sometimes they contact me directly by themselves. And I, I just love being able to, to hear them, to listen to them, to walk with them, to accompany them, to encourage them, and then to help them come to a decision, because that's ultimately what we're here for, is to move forward with the Lord on that walk. So I've, I've learned a lot. Um, there have been ups and downs. You know, there's our culture is not very encouraging of vocations and discernment and being a disciple of Jesus. So there is a frustration there at times or a discouragement. But we have such good men who are who really are saying yes to our Lord and are going in a very countercultural way to try and follow him and to really to give their whole lives to him. So it's been beautiful, and I'm excited about this upcoming year because the Lord, I'm, I'm always looking for how he's surprising me because he brings up he just raises up new men who are who are willing to say, yes, here I am. I want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder for us that it is the Holy Spirit who is the main vocation director. And really, even with me having been a vocation director for my own community and now as coordinator for the religious vocations ministries in Art Chicago, it's a matter of really believing in God who calls for a response from those who are called to serve the church and um, utilizing their gifts and uh, what is in their hearts for them to be happy. There are sacrifices, but then sacrifice is a holy exchange of gifts. So um, that commitment, which is hard nowadays, uh, sometimes you have to come to the realization that uh, day to day you have to commit and I'm pretty sure that's true for you too, Father Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably for the next session, we're going to be uh, on a, a little break um, in a little bit, is to try to think about what might be uh, the best way to approach it, uh, especially people in the families, teachers, those who are around young people, to encourage them, right? Um, yeah, and great. maybe you can, you can uh, also encourage those discerners to come forward and take that risk to call you or, you know, tell someone uh, what's in their heart, right? What are some of the things do you think um, would help the factors that influence perhaps not even the decision like, okay, this is what I want, but even also the, um, the, cur- the grace of courage for young people out there to step out and say, oh, okay, there's something stirring in me. I don't know what, the, the, what this is, but maybe since I got encouraged, you know, and then what are the signs? So just give us kind of like, what are some of those elements? So, yeah, so I, I do. I, I live and work with Father uh, Tom Byrne, who's the director of Chicago Seminary. And so I work with the whole discernment phase, and then I hand them off to him, who's in charge of, he's in charge of forming our Chicago seminarians. And what, what I've seen in my work, and I think it's important for parents, for teachers, for anybody listening, godparents, there, there's just something, there's usually an intuition. I've heard it so many times from parishioners. There's an intuition when they see a young person who is drawn. There's an attraction to the faith 
that seems to distinguish them from others. And so when I think it's very important in terms of signs that we're looking for, we're looking for an attraction. Is this young person excited about Jesus, about the church, about the sacraments, about the gospel, about sharing their faith, about service to the poor? Is there, is there an excitement there? Is there a joy there? Are they, do they seem to come alive when they're in those situations? Because if that's the case, what's important for us who are, who are witnessing that, who are observing that, is to encourage them. First of all, through prayer. We need to make sure that we as an archdiocese are forming a culture of vocations so that we are actively praying, to the, as Jesus says, to the Lord of the harvest. We say, Father, please bless us with holy vocations. We need women and men who are ready to lay down their lives to, and put Jesus at the center and give everything to follow him. As consecrated, as priests, we, we need this so desperately for our parish because, as we know, the, the world over, this is how the gospel has been spread. And that we know that it happens in families. We know that it happens with anybody who's a disciple. But in mm-hmm. a very special way, Jesus wants us to pray for consecrated and for priests to step forward. So the first thing is looking at, again, those students, uh, those the young, young adults that we work with, anybody that we're coming into contact, maybe even somebody at, at work, that we see this person has, again, it's an intuition that I have, this person is attracted to the gospel, to the church, to the sacraments in a way that is different. And so first of all, I pray for them. Secondly, I give a verbal encouragement, an invitation, and I do it in the right way. It's not Oftentimes we make a joke of it. Oh, you should be a priest. Oh, wouldn't you be nice as a sister? That's, that's fine. But what's more important is to say in, in a little more intentional way, you know what, Joey, I've noticed that you, you seem really excited and joyful. You seem to come alive. Have you ever thought about the priesthood? I think you have excellent qualities mm-hmm. that would make you a priest. Have you ever thought about that? And that way you're planting a seed that can it might germinate in a year, it might germinate in 10 years. But the fact that you, us, as the church, the fact that we are speaking to this person, we are calling forth a vocation there that needs to be taken seriously. So we start with prayer, we move to some sort of intentional verbal encouragement, and then we also look to support them in any ways that we can, because they might come back to us and say, you know, you're right, I, I have been thinking about consecrated life, or I have been thinking about priesthood, what do I do? And so that's where it's important to say, well, go talk to Sister Lovina, go talk to Father Tim, go talk to your pastor, go talk to a, a somebody else in the parish that might be knowledgeable. Here's a good website, here's a book. We have tons of material online, and my office is happy to send any sorts of materials to parishes or to people for those who are interested. So I think those, those three points, for anybody listening, and, and again, it's, the, the difficulty is we have so many people who say, well, it's not me. I, I'm, not, I'm not the one who's supposed to be doing this. False. Every single one of us has to find a way to encourage vocations. We can all pray for them. When we see somebody, we can all encourage them verbally. And then finally, we can support them in any way that we can, whether that's helping out with Kava in some way, helping out with Mundelein Seminary or the vocation office or our local parish, or just saying, saying to your parish priest, how can I help with vocations? There are all sorts of ways to do that. That is so helpful. And uh, I think put into the, the 
the basic steps and just the know-how. Um, is that something that probably might also be available for people to go to? Um, later on at the end of the show, we won't let you go um, until you've given us your contact information, but um, that would be in the Chicago Priest uh uh, website, right? Correct. Okay, Correct. that because that is such a helpful way for people to be aware of this. Our final segment today comes from the program called Diakonia, a call to service. This month, Deacons Richard Hudzik and Dave Brensick invited a deacon couple to talk with them about charismatic prayer. Let's take a listen. Deacon Lou Riccio and his uh, wonderful wife, Anne, to join us today, and we're going to talk about charismatic prayer. So first off, good morning, Lou and Anne. Are you there? Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Richard. It's good to uh, have you with us, and we've, uh, as I say, we're going to we're going to talk a bit about about charismatic prayer. Well, that's that's all that we're going to talk about today. Uh, time goes so quickly in this this half hour show, but. Um, uh, as I say, we've got Ann and Lou joining us, and if you could just, oh, 25 words or less, introduce yourselves to the audience, uh, who you are, where you live, what parish, what kind of ministry you do. Okay. Um, I will start off. Uh, I'm Deacon Lou Riccio, and, and uh, I serve at uh, St. Teresa Parish in Palatine. Um, I was ordained in the class of 1996, which was the first four-year class for the diaconate training. Um, I serve at St. Teresa's, but I was basically sponsored by Charismatic Renewal. Uh, we had gotten special permission from Cardinal Bernadine through Father Paul Burak, who was his liaison to the Renewal, uh, to me be sponsored by the Charismatic Renewal. And as it turns out, uh, Cardinal Bernadine was the last ordination class that he uh, was able to uh, be at, um, and then he passed away at the November of 96. Um, I will um, ask Ann to describe our family situation, and there she is. Well, thank you, Lou. <clears throat> well, Lou and I have been blessed with three daughters, four granddaughters, and three great-granddaughters, and two great-grandsons. So we're a, a big family at this point, and we're just um, feeling very, very blessed by that. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I've got grandchildren, but I'm not yet. Uh, I'm not old enough to have great grandchildren. But uh, <laughs> my day will come, uh, and probably not uh, terribly far in the in the future. But anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about today is, uh, as I say, you know, charismatic prayer. But I want to try to do three things today, um, and that is what charismatic prayer is, what it's, what we mean by that, what it looks like, the look and feel, and uh, taste of it, if, if you will, and then also um, how it is different, why we distinguish charismatic prayer from, from other kinds of prayer. Uh, how does that come to be? Uh, is it Catholic? Uh, is, this, uh, is this rooted in, in our tradition? And then finally, um, where do I access, uh, tap into opportunities for, for charismatic prayer? What's uh, 
what's the uh, the landscape look like in the archdiocese in terms of of connecting in with with charismatic prayer. So that's the uh, that's the ambitious program for today. Uh, the three points, and let's uh, hit the ground running. What is charismatic prayer? Uh, what do we? Why do we use the word charismatic? Uh, tell me about that. Okay, uh, I will give a little, and I'm sure Ann will have something to contribute also. Uh, charismatic prayer, uh, to me, as I experience it, is spontaneous prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. That uh, we're not, we use road prayer, of course, in, in our prayer life, but uh, we always seek the Holy Spirit to give us the words to, to pray to our God, to give Him the best praise and worship that we can. Um, the word charismatic... Uh, comes right out of the scripture. Uh, it comes from the word charisms, which uh, are gifts which Paul, St. Paul, speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapters uh, 12, 1 to 4, and then other chapters 2, 13, and 14. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where the word comes from, and, and what I think charismatic prayer looks like to me, and it's a spontaneous prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you were going to jump in and give your view of uh, what charismatic prayer is, what it looks like, um, what what your perspective is on it. You want to you want to jump in? Yes, of course. Now, what I'm thinking to do to do is to share a little bit about what this gifted prayer looks like. Good. Is that, okay. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Please. So, if we want to um, worship and praise God, we would turn to Him first. And uh, as you turn to God and you release yourself to him, he's, through his spirit, his Holy Spirit, he will give you the words to worship and praise. And we do this uh, usually before we do anything else because we want to open that door to God and his love and his wisdom. So all those gifts that he gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us, helps us to praise, worship, adore, intercede. Um, when we're interceding, I could give you a short example of that. Sure, sure. Intercession. Uh, I was trying to pray for the situation going on right now with this rioting, and I, I was just praying, and Lord, how, how do I get this prayer together so that it's effective? And what I realized was that the Holy Spirit was giving me the information I needed in how to pray. And he told me, and when I say told me, this is what I hear in my mind, he told me that this nation is under a stronghold of deception. And that's how I had to pray, against that deception that this nation is under. And so I started to uh, ask him how to do that. And he gave me instruction on how to pray for that deception to be removed. I prayed for his angels to take charge, uh, and many other things came up. So sometimes if in Scripture it tells us in Romans 8, 26, we're weak, but the Spirit is here to help us. For example, when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit prays for us in ways that cannot be put into words. And that seems to be exactly what happens when we release ourselves to God and His Holy Spirit and ask Him to help us in all ways. You know, and if I could, uh, uh, just judging this from from a distance, uh, in a bit of a distance, but it's 
it's as if you are saying that the the prayer begins with um, pulling away from your own agenda. It, you know, sometimes prayer is, Lord, let me tell you what what you need to do, and this is 180 degrees opposite from that. Rather, it's a uh, it's a receptive uh, listening in order to know what you ought to to pray for or or how you ought to pray for. Is that is that that's a fair exactly, characterization? That's exactly right, Richard. That's how it happens. Huh. In other words, not my will, but your will be done. Okay. Because sometimes we can pray in a way that is not in God's will, and we're telling him what to do rather than him showing us or telling us what to do. So that example I gave was very freeing for me because I didn't have to be too concerned in how to pray the right prayer. And when I heard those words, I immediately went into um, deliverance action, if you would, deliverance prayer. So that was um, one one example. Okay. All right. Can you describe some of the blessings that you've seen from uh, from this charismatic prayer in your life? I'm sorry, I'm not hearing you can't too well. You, can't hear you, Dave. Can you maybe describe some of the blessings you have received from charismatic prayer in your life? Oh, yes, of course. Um, it, there's a freedom that comes with that. So it's a, a blessing of freedom and peace because um, Jesus doesn't want us to be fearful or anxious. And when he helps us in prayer, it's very freeing. It's very purposeful. We go right, get right to the point, right to the root of the problem. And it's... Um, very often joy-filled, because after praying in that manner, I feel a lot of joy. It's like, okay, God took care of it through me. I'm just like, what did I think it was Mother Teresa mentioning, that we're a, a pen in the hands of God, and that we, you know, do what he tells us, and we just feel that joy afterwards. hope that answered your question. No, I think, I think that's good. Um... If we could, for the for those entirely unfamiliar with with charismatic prayer, how how would you say this is different from? I, again, let me let me play the the part of the the naive uh, outsider. Well, th- what you're talking about just sounds like uh, the way I ought to be praying. Is is, is there something different here than um, a a good effort at at prayer? You know, it this is not this is not the rosary, although that's that's certainly not disdained. But uh, Lou, you used the word spontaneous. Um, maybe is is that an entree into distinguishing what you're talking about from? I hate to use the word, but the garden variety thinking that we have about prayer. What's you know what's what's different about about the charismatic prayer? Well, the charismatic prayer is, is uh, you know, like we've been saying is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we ask the Spirit to lead us in prayer uh, as we want to worship our God and praise Him. And, and we use, if you want to say it, charismatic prayer is basically asking the Spirit to lead us in, in the prayer that uh, for whatever intention that we put forward. And like I said, it's different than rote prayer, because that we can read from a piece of paper if we needed to. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. 
Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Cat Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.